Welcome, everybody. Um, today, I've got with me Addy Windsor-Clive from Regenerate Ventures. Welcome, Addy. Thank you. Thanks very much for having me. I'm really happy to have you on. And you've got some really cool stuff going on. You're based in the UK. I'd love to start with how you got into impact investing and, and where this journey began for you. Yeah, so um, I started out in my career in a sort of in venture capital, um, commercializing IP from a global university network at a very early stage, um, but looking at sort of pharmaceuticals and sort of life science. Um, which I think in sort of in that way was really making is making an impact sort of on, on the health side of things. But actually, sort of my true passion is is food and, and latterly agriculture. Um, so so moving on from that VC firm, I then went to set up a, a grab and go um, restaurant business in London with a couple of locations, sort of pop up locations, trying to bring healthy dairy, gluten free, egg free, nut free, sort of all the allergen free food. And, and then oh, that was a company called, um, yeah, called Sin Chow um, that was doing... Okay. Um, Vietnamese rice paper rolls, but um, or sort of summer rolls, as you might know them. Um, yeah. And uh, basically, I became dairy and gluten free a while, probably about eight nine years ago now. Um, and so, I was looking for a lunchtime food option that would that would cater to these these needs that were sort of healthy. And so, we're sort of in the middle of this business and run from running it to also being the chef in there. Um, the sort of two epiphany moments for me in in terms of wanting to move more into the impact investing stage or sort of side of things. And, and the first one was is that one, I had this dairy and gluten intolerance and where had this come from and how is our food being produced? And, and it seemed to be more and more of a trend coming through. And I think that sort of that was linked to what chemicals are we, are we spraying on our land and and how is our food being produced? So that was sort of one side of it. And then the other side was is that I'd arrive in my kitchens at sort of 7am in the morning, open up my fridge doors and there'll be a huge amount of fresh produce in there that I sort of I didn't quite know where it come from. Sort of I, I, in in the uh, in the restaurant world, you have you have um, your deliveries just to sort of put in your fridges in the morning, and they're they're just there. So I wanted to also find a bit more about where those were coming from. I mean, I knew that all my meat was being sourced uh, sustainably, and also um, from from England uh, or the UK, um, but more about sort of the wider produce that we were using. So sort of that sort of that's really where that's sort of the real kicker to start the sort of the impact uh, impact journey. Um, and then once I left that business, I wanted to marry up venture capital, early stage investing and sort of in the tech side and sort of the agri-food supply chain and realised that sort of working my way upstream towards agriculture and food production was really was really where I wanted to be, and and that's where I think the most impact can be made. If you if you get at the top of the supply chains, then sort of they only get sort of larger, and the, the impact or negative impact they have get bigger as you sort of progress through and get into manufacturing and production side. So once, so this was about five six years ago, uh, wanted to join an ag tech VC fund, but realised there weren't any really around in the UK at this uh, at the very early stage. There was some, yeah, there was there was some there was some knocking around in Europe, a few incubator programs, but nothing um, sort of no nothing like the traditional other sort of VCs that are around. And and it was the same really for climate back then as well. It's really been a transition phase over the last ten years with uh, with VC capital looking at, at climate transition and and then you know latterly agriculture and and the input of that so that sort of that was my sort of mo of trying to get into into ag tech vc and and this is where it's led me to as i mean for the last sort of five six years i've been consulting raising capital for ag tech startups working inside them um getting a good understanding about regenerative agriculture and sustainability um before joining regenerate ventures just over 18 months ago when just after we first launched um wow. so it's a very exciting time in the market for us and and i think ag tech 
in general. So you kind of had a uh, an investment, you had some investment experience, and then you kind of went into the entrepreneurship kind of food space, had the epiphany moment in sort of there, which is like, like you kind of just described, and then there wasn't really a role <laughs> for, for what you were interested in at that time, and, and, and had to kind of um, hustle a bit to find, you know, a role which was kind of in the ecosystem. Initially. Yeah, I mean that's 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 exactly it. I mean, if you if you speak to some of my friends, it's sort of taking a huge punt on something that wasn't really even an established market yet. Um, but yeah. knew but knew that I really and you sort of and I wouldn't and I don't think I'd have sort of speak quite openly. I don't think I'd have gone into another VC role just for the sake of going into VC. It really had to be making yeah. impact or, or or for me to feel like what we're doing and, and the technologies that we're investing in and, and I'll come on to more about regenerate in a moment are really making a difference and will be making not just even impact in the UK, but global global impact across the whole agri-food supply chain. And and I think as you, I'm sure all, all your listeners know that 30% of all emissions come from the agri-food supply chain. And it seems to be one of those overlooked uh, overlooked areas of climate uh, and climate transition that we can really, and I genuinely believe this, we can, if you return to regenerative agriculture unanimously across the board, that we could solve or at least halt and stop climate change within probably a 10 year period that i mean caveat that was if everything you know all went to plan but i think it's one of the quickest ways that we can address the heating up of greenhouse gas emissions so so on that i I don't think most people associate i mean we think of electric cars we think of energy transition i mean we get obviously fed a lot of that in in stories in the media etc and agriculture i guess we also don't really think too much about where our food's coming on average the average person i'm talking about like we go to the supermarket and there's a broccoli and there's a banana and there's whatever and uh you you just have the supply at least in in you know most highly developed companies if countries or or northern hemisphere etc so like how did you like was it simply through being involved in the food scene that you, and, and the uh, sort of gluten-free, dairy-free kind of approaches that you started looking more at ag and food waste and things like that and and, and that side? Or were you always kind of looking at nutrition and, and, and agriculture as a sort of an area that you felt was, was a problem? Yeah, I, no, I, I think it's off the back of the, of the restaurant and just interested in, in food consumption and also, and, then, and I, think it, I think it actually started probably with air miles and being concerned about that. But then actually I think when you get into, and wanting to join, actually wanted to join a VC that was in the food side of things and realized pretty quickly i didn't want to do b2c um because that's that's quite hard work and and changing food changing consumer mentality around food and the way they eat it's it's a very evocative and very Mm -hmm. emotional uh subject matter for people globally and sort of it's you know very family bonding and so telling people what to do around food is is is, isn't it probably one of the reasons why the government doesn't like to touch it um because it's 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 very highly charged um yeah but I think that's where I want. That's where the interest in the agricultural side of it came from. And the more you read into it, in terms of the synthetic fertilizers that we're using, the chemicals that we're spraying for insecticides and pesticides, herbicides, air miles, um, production and, and manufacturing, it, it all sort of starts to stack up. And, and you think, what my thought was sort of, you know, how, how is this? How is this not being spoken about? And we need to raise awareness around this. And I think this is this mm-hmm. is quite a lot of what I do now, even at Regenerate Ventures, is, is speaking to tradi- traditional investors that haven't really thought about the ag tech sector or the agricultural sector as an investment mm-hmm. opportunity and, and shining mm-hmm. a light on it. And and where there's huge capacity for digitization or um, technological advancement. Um, and so it's very it's very exciting to to sort of sew it all together and 
and then also bring it out to the world to show them, you know, on the journey that we've been on. So obviously, agriculture is a big business in 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 the UK where you're based. Yep. There's a lot of farming. There's um, you know various approaches, etc. It's probably not on the scale, obviously, as you know the huge farms, etc. From North America and and others, that sort of with the monocrops, I guess. But there's still quite a lot of monocrops in the UK. Yeah. Um, talk talk me through how it's possible that that you know there wasn't really early stage investment going on into into farming and practices and things like that. You know, not so long ago do you think it's just like not seen as a a venture type of industry yes i mean that makes you've you sort of hit the nail on the head and there's sort of those two there's two points on this i think one is uh in the first instance of people having really thought about agriculture is that it's one of it's one of the oldest industries and sectors out there and, and it tends to be they could sometimes get a bit forgotten and don't get swept up with new technology especially as traditionally and quite careful around this but traditionally it's all quite pen and paper it's all quite word of mouth and and there are farmers using amazing technology um, and using huge and you know have digitized but there's also a big difference between uk and i would say big industrial ag which is sort of like you're talking about your north americas where they've got field sizes of you know two hectares sorry two thousand hectares per field where you know ours ours are even maybe you know a couple of acres um so there's a there's a real differentiator there and then but and so that's sort of the opportunity that's there but i also think compared to when i started looking at this we've had this trifecta of brexit covid and war and war in ukraine that mm-hmm. that specifically for the uk in terms of with, with the brexit side um but i know that they're having issues in north america with with sort of migration as well and, and immigration um is that i mean with with brexit is that we need 80,000 seasonal workers in the uk uh to service our to service our sort of summer produce and we're only giving visas for 20,000 so that's a huge issue that we don't have the labor force that we that we used to covid and sort of brexit sorry another one with brexit is legislation and regulation around and um, what food being imported and exported into europe and the rest of the world um from the uk so it's the negotiation of of new f- sort of trading um trading regulations and then COVID, uh, obviously, a lot of people returned returned back to their home countries. Um, a lot of borders shut. There was huge food security issues, not only just in the UK, as you've seen in our shelves. And well, sorry, in in the UK, in the last probably two years, three years, um, we we suddenly have huge gaps in our shelves where there's a lack of egg production due to avian flu or there's no fresh produce of peppers and cucumbers because the electricity prices have gone up from the Netherlands. And so it's all these external factors outside of the UK that are affecting things. And then the real big one with, with the war in Ukraine and, mm-hmm. and Russia is that all of, I would say, maybe not all, but I'd say a huge percentage of uh, the UK and Europe's fertilizer is made in Russia. Um, and the natural resources are coming out of Russia. So this is why we've had a 3x hike in fertilizer prices, which has made farmers really have to think about what they can and can't put on their land to, to be able to produce. So it's sort of the, these all these different factors coming together, which which means that, and, and I think it's always one of those things where you've got investors that are that are looking at future trends, but until the end consumer can really feel, feel it too, does it really mm-hmm. make change? And so when we've seen empty shelves and, and sort of government sort of d- giving hands out uh, around this, then then it means the end consumer's aware of it too, which means there's a push towards investing in this area. 
So that's why it's um, the, the time is right now. Yeah, I, I guess you need to see, you know, something firsthand as a problem to, to, to want to address it. It's crazy in a way that, you know, the UK, I think of, of having, you know, all these great links across Europe and um, really a global player and, and obviously producing a lot of um, their own farm produce, etc. And, and yet um, you're talking about things which make it sound like the food system is quite fragile in, in the you hear this term food security all the time. Um, we know with climate change, obviously, we're going to perhaps have, have challenges with crops. We know that, that water is going to get more and more precious and things like that. So would you say overall, the, the you know, I, I'd be interested to know what you think of the issues around food security, aside from war and, and, and Brexit and things like that, you know, on a, on a bigger scale, do you do you do you see that we have to have quite radical change in 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 agriculture sector? It's it's a very it's a very interesting one, and and, and I'll probably caveat this that is this nuance between each country and their legislation and what they're pushing towards. Um, mm-hmm. So um, I can give you probably a good a, a good understanding of the UK and a bit about around Europe and what we're pushing towards. Um, but uh, just so I wouldn't like to sort of comment on on Asia and and also sort of North America on this. But um, in in the UK what we what we're pushing towards is sustainable farming and because there's been and sorry another another part of brexit is that we've lost our the common agricultural policy so we've lost our farming subsidies or we will do by 2027 so this is another another sort of extra layer that's pressure put on farmers um but what mm-hmm. the uk are looking to do is is sort of elms um environmental and management schemes there's sort of very different various different subsidies coming in that are pushing towards sustainable farming or in some parts, rewilding and increasing biodiversity, um, biodiversity net gain um, across the board. And this is where I think things can be, in terms of food security, this is where the, I think that it can be a bit of a grey area, is that obviously biodiversity is hugely important um, and we need to build it back up again. But um, I would be very reticent to take good farming land out of practice to, to mm-hmm. rewild because the only the pressure that you're doing there is that, yes, it's all green and wonderful in the uk but we're still gonna have to have our you know get our wheat or whichever crop we're sort of focusing on produce somewhere else which is only pushing this and for the uk is that most of our most of our wheat's coming in from canada actually we're actually not coming in from ukraine even that's the breadbasket of europe we get ours from canada but in france is that we're pushing just more into mono monocrop or sort of monoculture crops in in canada which is only you know, desertifying their planes even more so than so. But then there's this issue. So we've got greener biodiversity. It's great in the UK, but we're just not producing the food that we need here. And so I think that it just needs to be quite careful around that going forward and quite knee-jerk reaction to subsidies from the government here, which maybe are not tom- long-term views, um, could maybe could maybe cause some issues for farmers in the future. But then in terms of an... In, but then there are other parts in terms of EU regulation coming in. There's sort of neonicotinoids, which are sort of um, chemicals sprayed on lands. There's been a ban on, there's a ban coming in on those, which is then pushing towards more sustainable farming. So there's sort of different angles where legislation is coming in um, mm-hmm. that will be helping towards push the, towards sustainable farming. But it, but I think it's it, there's a very fine line between what we need or regenerative farming which is all about soil health and improving our soils and and once you improve soils you get better nutrient density out of your food it's more resilient to climate change and and weather systems and so pushing towards that is is hugely important i think um potentially more so than subsidies for 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 sort of rewilding and and that side of things but it's um yeah it's 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 a highly uh, it's it's um 
it's a highly contentious topic depending on who you're talking to um, but <laughs> well, from our side, from our side we're, we're all about food production making sure there's food security ensuring there's food for future generations as you pointed out yeah i think food is kind of an emotionally charged topic right because you you have you know different people seem to get very upset about um you know uh if if someone's you know, eat a meat eater or whatever, or a vegan or, or others, you can have some, even in the same family, you can have quite heated debates around food. So I don't know why it's so emotionally charged, but it's also a huge amount of legislation around farming, et cetera, that you're kind of navigating in the UK. So it, it's kind of a, a double-edged in, in, in that regard. How did Regenerate get going? I'm interested to Regenerate Ventures. How, how did you get going in, in that sort of environment? And could you give our listeners a bit of a background as to what, Reven- what Regenerate Ventures is? You've already kind of mentioned the word regenerative, which is a big, obviously a big movement in, in, in farming. And actually there's quite a lot of regenerative stuff out in um where i'm based in southeast asia because the way crops are grown uh, you know it's done in much more um uh, in sorry less large um formats for example and, and mixed crops and, and and things like that it happens a bit more here but but yeah could you give me a bit bit of background on 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 the company and you're working with and and and, and what what you guys are doing yeah absolutely absolutely no i'd love to um so sort of i'm, I'm gonna actually start with the wider regenerate group because we're, we're a multi-asset manager then i'll then i'll drill down into interventions um in, in in a moment if that's okay so regenerate or regenerate asset management um was started by um ben Stafford and ryan cameron um who are ex impacts um i don't know if you come across them as sort of renewable um renewable energy private equity um and they were doing that for sort of 15 years and realize that then think the next sort of most of the renewable sector has already got the infrastructure in place or sort of i say within within europe but then the next sort of big horizon is is regenerative agriculture and um sort of making making that an investable product so they've been working on this for sort of five, four, five plus years. Um, and they were launching with their private equity side first, which is buying land backed assets. They're buying operating farms to transition across to regenerative agricultural practices. Um, oh, okay. um, and they've raised 150 million from MNG, which is very exciting. And we're just about to sign our first first deal. And so that's sort of that's the brainchild of Regenerate. Um, and David Bates, the chairman, who launched the first carbon hedge fund Um in the UK and actually I think Europe probably um, has also joined them on board. So we're so we're very focused on agriculture, soil health, and, and sort of carbon and well, now common to natural capital in in a, in a minute with that. So they they launched Regenerate with with the view on that, and then Paul Rouse, um, my colleague, came in to sort of bring in the venture side. And what we're looking at at Regenerate Ventures, and we launched beginning sort of January 2020, uh, 2022. Um, so we're going just over eighteen months. Launched with um, a, a UK fund. Um, focusing, us, focusing on early stage ag tech, and that's I'd sort of say describe that from sort of pre C to Series A. Um, mm-hmm. And when I say ag tech, is sort of in, um, any technology that's improving efficiency um, in the agri food supply chain. But we tend to focus on is sort of inside the farm gates, sort of very much upstream with the farmers. And what we're looking at is is types of technology that are heavily IP defensible, globally scalable with multi-billion dollar opportunities. Because um, there are a lot of companies you see in the UK that are servicing a couple of hundred farmers in the UK. But what we're really looking for is something that's going to change the wheat industry globally or the berry production or reduce insecticides or improve biologicals. Or, um, so the sort of that's what we're looking to sort of really scale scale up and, and go global with, with 
um, with the companies that we're investing in. But the kind of technologies that we we look at, just to give you a bit of background on that, is everything from sort of biotech and genetics, uh, data sciences, robotics, um, AI and machine learning, satellite imagery and sensing. Um, so it sort of gives you an idea of kind of the technologies that we that we look at. We've invested in six companies to date, which is everything from robotic uh, autonomous robot harvester for asparagus. And they work with uh, it's called Muddy Machines. They work with Cobury Farms that are seventy five percent of the UK asparagus market, um, all the way through to Big Sis, which is a sterile insect technique company um, that allows that captures fruit flies at a local level and sterilizes them and then you release them back into the wild um, and they've been working trialing with the largest berry producers in the UK and also in trials with the largest berry producer in the world um, at the moment and so the really interesting bit about the technologies that we look at is that is not only when the, when you're talking to a farmer they they have a list of sort of They've got a never-ending list of things they need to get to and, and issues and problems they have on farm. But we're always looking to solve number one and two on the list, not not number 10, because mm-hmm. number one and two are the most pressing. And so that's what they'll focus most on. And also, if they've got the capital, that's where they'll allocate it to, because that's where the issues are. And so with the technologies that we're investing in the companies is that they're already working with the key stakeholders or farmers in those sectors. So as you can see from Money Machines and Big Sis, is that they're working already with the the largest producers, not only in the UK, but globally. Um, mm-hmm. And so and that's a big one, I think, with the ag tech sector is is route to market. And that's also how we sort of, and you touched upon earlier, sort of how VCable is is agri-food tech. Um, and does it does it fit the model where traditional VC has been, you're sort of, I'd probably say in the last 10 years, been, been looking at sort of B2B SaaS products, digital platforms, where you can scale up very quickly, sort of get a million users per month and reiterate every couple of weeks with your developers. It's very different in the agri-tech sector because one, there's a thing called seasons, um, which makes it a little bit tricky, <laughs> uh, which people often forget about. That it's, um, I mean, if you're if you're doing really well and you're working across, across, across both hemispheres, you're, you're going to get two two bites of the cherry, excuse the pun, each season when you're um, when you're when you're testing and trialing your products. And that also is that I don't I think it's highly unlikely that you're going to get a million farmers signing up if you use launch a new digital platform each month. So it's sort of the ag tech follows a slightly different path um, to your mm-hmm. traditional sort of tech company um, in terms of one, getting product ready, testing, beta testing, and then scalability, and then sort of the route to commercialization. So that's where we see ourselves um, as ag tech specialists um, mm-hmm. that really understand not only the technologies, but the sector, the market, and everything that goes with that to really help the companies handhold them through, make the introductions that they need to make sure that they get to the the next stage and and another quick point on sort of is that we the stage we're investing in this pre-seed series a we call it the valley of death in ag tech is that there's which is we don't know sounds very aggressive but it but actually it means that quite there's a lot of money and and speaking this is from the uk and 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 I think it's probably in the US as sort of North America as well as it. There's a lot of money around pre-seed, whether it's from angel investors that are interested in impact or climate change. Um, and also uh, um, the UK are really great for uh, grant funding for ag tech as well. So the pre-seed stage, they're very, they're sort of um, earlier, they're, they're pretty well funded. It's this next stage, a sort of seed series A, where you need smart patient capital and, and knowledge to really get them through the next one to two stages um, of investment to be able to 
to be able to get them to the Series B where you're getting to later stage generalist funds because generalist funds don't really like to come into early stage if the technology hasn't been proven yet in the market. But they're, they're, they're happy to take market risk, but not not product or technology risk. So that's where we really come in and, and need to attract more investment into the area to make sure these companies get funded because there won't be any pipeline coming through to the Series B where we can get exits and and show track record for the ag tech sector if we're not investing at this at this stage. Um, yeah, so. so so that's the real kind of critical part, I guess. If it, uh, I think a lot of like you mentioned, like a you know the friends and family rounds and things like that are kind of okay, but but uh, you need to to make to give it a chance basically of having success it needs to be co-financed it can't just be you guys and you need to also be helping them to through that process because i mean how many is there a lot of people looking at series a and b ag tech stuff in the uk currently or or is it is it is it pretty bare (laughs) yeah there's i think there's one fund that will do series a and beyond that's 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 specific to agri-food tech um but that's but that's where that's where the generalist the generalist funds will come in around the series a series b because they've it's been slightly de-risked um so they're happy to take more market risk then so and 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 what we've seen is that if they've got an ag tech investor on the on the cap table earlier Mm -hmm. on then and that we're sort of maybe still retain a board seat as we go forward and, and and follow on as well is that they feel that they're in safe hands because we're ag tech specialists and then they can provide the capital um to do right that. so it's sort of it, it is there it's just we're trying to get the pipeline through of companies through to the series series a series b bit which is which is the main sort of the, the challenge at, at this point in time but but and you're else, sorry go on, go on. Well, I was going to say you're investing in UK companies, but um, it doesn't mean the companies are only selling to UK farmers, right? Yeah, no, no, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely not. I mean, that, that's that's the whole plan of being globally scalable. Um, is that yeah. sort of with uh, going back to Big Sis is that they they've just trialed in the US, uh, and then they'll be rolling out. To, I think uh, with one of the berry producers um, across four key berry producing countries across the world. Um, Muddy Machines is looking at North America and Peru. Um, mm-hmm. And Agreed Earth, one of its sort of its remote satellite sensing for for nitrogen usage on farm, is looking mm-hmm. to use US technology and roll out there as well. Climate Edge um, is actually a digital platform helping African smallholder farmers, so that they're based out in East Africa, um, what half London, half East Africa. Um, so it's sort of it's it's widening up the network across you know, across across the world. But it's something I wanted to just touch upon, just off, off Regenerate as well, and also why we're a bit different to other VC funds out there is that because we've got this, we're, we're this multi-asset manager, we've actually got three three sides of our business. So we've got the private equity side. So we're buying farms to transition to regen ag practices. So that's the sort of the farms. We've got the venture capital that's doing the tech investing in helping not only farmers, but I would say also big industrial ag transition to regenerative farming practices. And then we've got, and so sort of that's the tech side. And then we've got our regenerate outcomes team, which is our natural capital team, where we're helping farmers transition to regen ag practices and verifying their carbon as they do it and we do that in conjunction with um understanding ag um who is gabe brown's team in the u.s and so gabe brown is sort of the the godfather of regenerative agriculture so to have him um working exclusively with us in the uk um it is 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 very exciting and so this unique sort of little tripod or sort of the, the stool three legs of the stool we describe it as is, is having private equity the farms venture capital the tech 
and the natural capital, the outcomes um, as the farmers, so tech farms and farmers um, really differentiates ourselves, one from the technologies that we're seeing. It means we can test and trial our technologies on our own farms or with our farmers. And also mm-hmm. it means we can get good feedback loops from our farmers about whether they use the technologies and and going back to that point of what's number one on the list of, of, of problems you have. That's where they can really help feedback in and, and it's sort of sharing of tech companies for, for example you know there's a there's a carbon measuring company that i sent over by our outcomes team yesterday that i hadn't come across yet uh in the us so it's sort of those those inside lines within our own company that really strengthens up our um strengthens up our story and and, and sort of about our advisory boards and and being sort of hand-holding and helping companies through it really helps mm-hmm. to be able to have that all all in-house yeah, and I guess slightly different business models as well in terms of the investment paybacks and um, or, or is the is the latter one more of a revenue based business, the one where you're actually supporting farmers to uh, with training, etc., or is is uh, is it also equity? No, so it's, yeah, so it's, it's, it, they have a slightly different structure. So they they sort of sit out just outside uh, sort of a sister company. Mm-hmm. That's that's project uh, that's sort of project by project based, and we have project financing. Mm-hmm. So we pay for the farms to have their to to do their benchmarking of their of their carbon um mm-hmm. and then we are i hope i think hopefully by christmas we're going to be the first vera verified um company in the uk um so then as soon as we start generating carbon credits is that that's where the revenue stream will be coming from so that that'll be revenue based rather than equity so carbon credits do you feel are, are critical in in the food transition in terms of how farming is going to be done moving forward? Yes, yeah, and that's exactly yeah. and I, um that's what that's what we think and the reason why that whole natural capital side was set up set up by Tom Dillon and he was living up in the north of England and working I was actually playing rugby with a lot of the local farmers and saw that with Brexit that there was this going to be loss in subsidies coming through and and wondered how that they could support farmers and get an extra revenue stream for them. Um, mm-hmm. And was exploring around this regenerative farming uh, sort of route and and how that can be done. And so that's that was sort of the reason behind it being set up is as we move away from from government subsidies is to be able to add an extra revenue stream in and also give back to the farmers that are doing sustainable practices um, and verify verify their carbon to for them to transition across. And 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 a note from a side note from that is that they're just hopefully their crops and their ground will become more climate resilient going forward and no no inputs from chemicals or pesticides um as well so it's sort of a win-win on all in in all angles for us well in, in our thought process anyway yeah and um i mean it's amazing how much difference it can make by you know having cover crops and, and things like that and, and also i don't know if you guys are involved in photovoltaics i found that super interesting which is you know having these solar arrays or whatever providing shade for specific crops so you're actually getting an energy source from the from the solar panel but but um these greenhouses etc where you're able to adjust how much energy you're 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 using essentially use sunlight for energy but also provide some shade for for growth is quite is quite interesting because of course you're using so much less water so so there's real innovation happening, though. No? Yeah, no, it's it's very exciting. I mean, agrovoltaics is 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 very is very cool, and you can even I've I've seen even putting it over wheat crops as well, and you can get a combine underneath it. I mean, it's really quite amazing stuff. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, pretty, it's, pretty, it's pretty wild, and and but then also yeah. providing coverage for sheep. Um, but then this is also where it comes into it is this mixture of agroforestry. This there's, there's is it you probably heard of like 
one with the rewilding is just sort of turning to flower meadows, but also there's a huge push towards forestry or planting of trees. Um, mm-hmm. um, something that we're looking at and exploring at the moment is peak to be able to put um, or plant forest or trees into pasture and then you graze your animals around. So not only are you sequestering carbon from, from planting the trees, increasing the biodiversity within there, but also you can graze your raise your livestock in and amongst it which is also good for regenerating the soil as well because the sort of circle of life this is where we you know meat is good um and cows are good um <laughs> once they're eating and pooping and stomping uh in fields that's how you're really going to regenerate the soil in the best manner possible so we've got this kind of weird dichotomy which is like extremely high tech things we've been talking about robotics agrivoltaics and um you know other other things satellites etc in in kind of improving how we do farming and then we're also talking about you know some very almost ancient wisdom of of growing plants together and using cover crops and and being you know a bit more in harmony with nature so like how do you how do you um work within those two dimensions i guess for the venture side it's very much focused on we always want as an investor don't we something that's going to create a huge return um uh, for our for our lps etc in venture funds because it's a sort of high risk 10-year kind of payback potentially and um you need to have very big market and normally some sort of technical and technology advantage but then on the other side you're talking about basically almost re-educating or or changing our perspective on how we do farming so it's, it's quite an unusual balance to have these kind of different uh things throughout the fund how how do you see it yes yeah yeah i mean again you've hit the nail on the head there is that the we is that so i would say with our natural capital team and our private equity team is that they're, they're very sort of pure on the region ag and exactly that it's the implementation of practices that it, that are incorporated under the, under the banner of regenerative agriculture and and we we use understanding ag as our sort of framework for that how we see ourselves in ventures is that we see ourselves as the technology or investing technology that's enabling the transition across um and so like i said it's like whether it's just for farmers or whether it's for big industrial ag is that investing in in biologicals um so our most recent deal was a was a biosimilant that can increase wheat yield by 20 22% and so what that means is that you can produce more but on the same amount of land or more with with less by just spraying so, this and so so on a, that what what's a biostimulant stimulant so by a biostimulant um it's, so you've got by to sort of break it down into like you've got you've got traditional fertilizers which is the sort of chemical synthetic yeah. fertilizers potash um and so what we're trying to move away from is different um and so now you can get biofertilizers or you can get biostimulants so these are environmentally friendly or sort of environmentally or plant derived products um mm-hmm. that are boosting yields within crops um in terms of the and biostimulant i would say was it can be a very various without getting too technical into things it can be chemical biostimulant or a um, single molecule or you just get an organic biostimulant um, and so you're just you're sort of stimulating the crop to grow more than it, than it previously would have done um, so it's mm-hmm. kind of like a fertilizer but it's more environmentally friendly and, and biostimulants tend to focus on specific areas so I mean just to sort of break it down with with sugar ox the the biosimilant that we invested in normally during the growth spurt of a plant um there'll be a natural point where it starts to, to sort of plateau and 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 drop off where with sugar ox it's because it's a single cell molecule it inhibits the plant from plateauing and so it keeps growing um and so it stimulates the plant to grow an extra 20 percent um so that's that's hopefully that gives a bit of background without getting too into the nitty-gritty. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So, but it's but it, but it's sort of that that transition towards. So, I would say in the ventures that we we are tech heavy, but we're mm-hmm. and we're helping facilitate the transition because what once you've been doing regenerative farming i mean the plant or the hope has been sort of the three to five seven year period is that you your yields will have bounced back again your crop's going to be produced even yeah it's going to be producing even more your soil health is going to be better you don't have as much you don't you probably won't need as much water because your root structure is going to be stronger but it's that yeah. it's that sort of one three five seven year gap Mm-hmm. Where ventures comes in and facilitates and helps that transition, and it's and it's the same, for example, in in sterile insect technique, rather than spraying blanket spraying insecticides over berries. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, once once a week during the growing season, is that we can use our technologies to help transition across. Where then you hopefully build up your biodiversity flora and fauna over the years, and so then they'll start to eat the fruit flies, the birds mm-hmm. or the predators, and so it, it's it's that transition phase that we see the venture side really taking a step forward. Yeah, and I think it's kind of a delicate balance, isn't it? Because it sounds kind of a bit sort of godlike, you know, if you're sterilizing bugs and things like that in, a, yes. in, in one essence, right? But then when you look at the state of um, biodiversity, especially insects in the UK, and, um, you know, how, how few there are compared to even, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago, mm-hmm. it, 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 getting this balance right is really critical because it, it affects the entire web of life the whole ecosystem around farming and 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 around you know well the 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 country really it's like birds have to survive off of something and if you're using insecticides which are kind of going to take out pretty much anything in its path then then it's obviously it's not not really the way to go and we have to be more creative i guess yeah, no, absolutely, and and that's that's the thing with insecticides that it's it's not just killing the one insect that's the pest, the the fruit fly is killing killing everything else with it. And and the exciting bit about uh, the sort of big success in the sterile insect technique is that they're only capturing local fruit fruit flies and and they X-ray X-ray their parts to sterilize them and then um and then uh, and then release them back out again, which is which is which can be very different to traditional sterile insect technique where they use yeah. CRISPR gene editing to sterilize them. And so there there is oh. a fine line in ag tech where you can you can really be playing with God and playing with natural the way the way things have always been an evolution. Um but yeah. we like to try and stay away from from getting too too involved with with that. Very interesting. There's a million questions I could have on, on 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 quite a lot of the different areas of the things you're doing with the business. But you made quite a bold sort of statement and, and one that I thought was very cool at the beginning, which is like, you know, actually globally getting ag right or or putting the investment in and really converting to some of these practices could have a massive impact on climate change or ambitions to keep under, you know, one and a half, two degrees of warming, etc. So just from your perspective, where do you see the really big wins and, and, and what would you love to see happening, not just in the UK, just in, in general in this space? I'd love to see some... <laughs> it's a very hard one because regenerative regenerative farming and regenerative agriculture is very adaptive there's no one size fits all which is a bit of an issue right now why we haven't had why no one can really implement legislation around it and and, mm. and if you speak to Gabe Brown and the understanding ag team is that everyone every farm has a different circumstance of whether whether they're making food for profit to look after their family it's whatever the reason is and so it's very hard to to do that but I would I would love to see implementation of of dye cover crops across the board whenever possible just keeping the soil covered um i think mm-hmm. would be huge um and also direct drilling so just not cracking open the soil um at, you know one 
at harvest time or for, for plowing. So not not plowing, basically making not, individual holes for things. Yes, yeah, exactly, exactly. Not not plowing and then having a cover crop over the top, and so you're getting a root structure in there. Because I think a huge part of it as well, which people don't really talk about, is that the heating up of the, the earth's surface, and when mm-hmm. you've ripped all the plants out of it, that's exactly what happens, and that's where the certification comes in as well. Um, so I can wave my magic wand and have every farmer. I, admittedly, it's not. It's it, that's very hard, and you need, need no equipment for it, and and. Mm-hmm. <laughs> huge conversation this week about farmers now leasing machinery rather than buying it outright um but so it's um there's a long way to go but if we sort of start moving towards that but then you i appreciate it's it's almost it's it is possible in potatoes but it's very very hard to do it at scale so uh, you know you've you've got to start where you can um Mm -hmm. on, on the crops that you can do it with so that would be that would be it and i think if governments could could push towards and put some legislation around that i think it would be it would be beneficial. So, and, and why is ploughing so bad? I mean, like obviously, most crops, I guess, uh, uh, wheat, barley, all of these kind of things, you're you're, you're growing, you're well, uh, you, you you harvest with the combine, etc. Mm. You do, you get the good stuff, you get the chaff, and all the other bits that probably you know not much, not too much is done with, and then then you you plough it all up and start again. Why why is that so bad? So when you when you open up the soil, is that um, is that all, a lot of the oxygen is then released out, and also the microbes are then um, at the whim of the weather and um, sort of the external factors within that. And so if you keep the ground covered, it means the root structures can then uh, broaden. Your soil health can then also keep all its oxygen within within and the carbon the carbon within inside it. Um, mm-hmm. And basically, once you once you open that up, it, it's all released out. All the heat's released out. Um, and also the soils more likely can be more prone to sort of dying or at the whim of the weather and being and then also it's being washed away as well so that's a huge problem is that especially you know this time of the year in the UK is that if you're plowing up fields and then it's coming into autumn and there's a lot of rain is that it also the the rain will come in and then wash away all the nutrients and the soil health or microbes within there Um, so if you keep it covered it stops one the heating up of the earth's surface and also stops water um, soil soil from being washed away into our waterways which was also that's a whole separate conversation (laughs) (laughs) but i guess i guess there's i guess there is also like people that would like that are profiting from the state square i guess right so if if you're going to stop using fertilizer because you're not tilling so much etc and you're going to want to buy biostimulants from some of your venture portfolio for example (laughs) that is displacing and disrupting somebody's revenue currently today isn't it so is is that uh, I think big ag, uh, we talk about big oil, big pharma, big all these things, especially in the US, et cetera, and, and places where you have these giant markets, you know, surely there's going to be some friction at, uh, at those points. Or are, are you seeing investment coming from from the incumbents into these kind of new new opportunities? Yes, no, we definitely are. So I, I sort of touched base with some of the big VC firms from the big ags and, and the likes of Bayer are very aware of and from the chemical side of things and seed coatings and genetics about what's coming mm-hmm. through. And so they're really tracking some of the best companies and investing them at this stage. Um, I think and that, that's just one example, but I think Yara are doing the same. Um, it's very much on their radar that they know that there will be a transition phase. And I think they know that government legislation will come in uh, mm-hmm. and, and stop some of the chemicals. So they've, they've got to you know, fill the gaps in their own portfolios with new technology coming through. So that's it's it's definitely on their radar, and and we, and, we and, find out every so often to to discuss to discuss what everyone's looking at. 
And just for anyone tuning in who is an early stage ag tech in the UK, um, uh, pre-seed, et cetera, uh, you guys are, are currently deploying and, and um, what's the best way to, uh, to approach the team? Yeah, so um, go go through onto our website. Um, we've got we've got a button there saying um, I'm an entrepreneur. So if you if you fill that in um, and and put in a pitch deck with that, then it will um, then be put into our pipeline hopper and we'll uh, set up a call with you. So we'd love to we'd love to hear. We'd love to hear from any awesome. out there. I, I'm really grateful uh, for you taking the time to talk about this stuff and indulging my questions of soil, <laughs> soil health. Um, yeah. What should we expect next from Regenerate uh, Group and the ventures? Is there anything else you can talk about? Yeah. So um, from the venture side is that we've got a UK fund, but now we're raising an institutional fund, which will be looking into sort of UK, Europe um, and with a view to North America in the future. Exactly the same thesis, just sort of um, our current funds never green funds. So we're looking just to raise a probably Probably uh, 30 to 50 closed end fund for that. So that's that's exciting. That's on the horizon at the moment. For the private equity side, they're just going out for their second close. So we're, um, we're obviously, like I said, we've raised 150 from MNG, but looking to go out for another 100, 150 in 2024. Um, and then on from our outcomes team is that we're just signing up farmers that want to join us on the journey uh, to sustainable farming. So it's it's... I think we're we're all now in our groove, having launched most obviously just came out to market in 2022. 2023 has been a, a growth year and and then and then really hit the hit the ground in 2024, making an impact and spreading the regenerate name globally, hopefully. Amazing. And um yeah, I, I think it's awesome the the approach you guys are taking. It's pretty unique. It's like covers a lot of the different angles needed if we want to see systems change, if we want to really drive, you know, regenerative approaches and things like that. So I'm really um, grateful you took the time, Addy, to talk us through some of the great work that Regenerate and the team are doing. And uh, I'm really glad that you had your epiphany uh, doing your summer roles and <laughs> decided to take on this uh, big challenge and and uh, find find our home investing in impact. Um, so. Uh, thanks a lot for joining us thank you very much it's been wonderful and great always great to talk about it and if you have any more questions then please let me please let me know i'm always happy to talk about or bore people about regenerative agriculture and ag tech vc investing (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) we we could do with more so uh yeah yeah, you're the you're the role model now so expect plenty of linkedin connections (laughs) amazing thank you so much